0: what's that you're holding
1: well this is a burr box from crown dental burrs and it has dr flo king's name on it and the reason we've implemented this in the practice is that paul has the rota system so his great burrs are kept in order that means you can ask your nurse for a number of burr which means you'll always get the same burr and the rota system means you'll never run out of burrs so it's definitely worth the investment and it's not nearly as dear as you might think for something this good
0: Why did you invest in the Navident dynamic navigation system?
1: It's incredible. It brings our safety and accuracy up for patients. Here is a tracker that we use. And thanks to Rob from the dental imaging company, it's been great support and so easy to set up. I see why so many people go to him for their digital imaging, 3D or two-dimensional, and also all their surgical supplies like Ustamed screws. Rob's been incredible and I'd highly recommend working with him.
0: Dental Professionals, I'm Flo, a new addition to the field.
1: And I'm Ali, a seasoned dentist who's been around for a while.
0: Welcome to Pearl's Two Generations in Dentistry, where we explore the depth of dental expertise.
1: You can find us on Instagram at Pearls Dental Podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode.
0: So Ali, how was your week?
1: It was a really busy week this week, but a really good week. I feel like I say that every week, too. <laughs> yeah. um, so a few interesting things happened this week, actually. Um, so I've been mentoring uh, Dr. Ash Maru. Mm-hmm. Um, his name's Akash, I call him Ash, um, in Hereford. And it was a really cool day on Saturday because I was there for the whole day with him. He had a few cases in, and we've done this a few times. And there was this moment where everything clicked. And he, you could just tell he got a sense of how the bone responds when he's doing a surgery. Mm -hmm. And so that was lovely to see because he turned into an implant dentist, um, which is a weird thing to say, (laughs) but that was great. And on Friday, I had a really cool day in Reading. Um, So a friend called Avik Dandapat has Mm -hmm. a level seven diploma. It's the only level seven diploma for implants run out of a dental practice in the UK yeah it's it takes an incredible team to run i had a really good day there so really cool people were there on the day um aside from Avik, uh zaki kanan was lecturing he's the current adi president uh karen Gang- gangotra who i met a while ago who has a key opinion leader for Seric. she had done her master's thesis on different um milled materials for guides uh and their accuracy really cool people um So we had a really good day there. And what was really, really cool is one of the things they do is they teach their delegates how to set up surgeries because there are actually surgeries there. And they run courses for nurses and just the efficiency of the whole place was amazing. So really inspiring because I've got all these ideas off of the back of it. Fantastic. And um, I guess the the big um, background theme for the whole week was we have a, a surgery coming up next week. It's a dual full arch. And it's the first time we're using Navident for this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so it's been amazing getting support from Rob from the Dental Imaging Company, Andre from Southern Implants, and um, Darren Kelsey's lab in getting all the wax ups done. And I'm really excited about about doing that because I think we are going to be able to achieve some really phenomenal, accurate results for Full Arch using dynamic navigation. So I'm very excited. How was your week? (laughs)
0: Um, I had... A little bit more chilled chilled week. I made some sauerkraut this morning, which was nice. Um, haven't made it in a while, so it felt very Yeah, just calming to to be able to do. Um but I did have some fab news this week. I was the winner of the Sustainability Hero Award for Wales.
1: Congratulations. Well deserved. Thank you.
0: Um so yeah, I'm going to find out in May um, how I do nationally. But yes, I won the the Welsh bit of it. Cool. So, so do they really have
1: cool. one per country? One, I think so. One hero, and
0: then, and then yeah, and then they do a national one to see who's the overall winner.
1: You don't you don't <laughs> all come together to form like Captain Planet. <laughs> no. at the
0: end of that. <laughs> That'd be really cool.
1: <laughs> um, um, that's amazing, Flo. That, that's so, really really cool. Well done.
0: Yeah, that, that was that was a really nice. Um, yeah, it was a really nice email to receive, although it was quite funny because it said, one of your colleagues has nominated you, but I had nominated myself. So. <laughs> I think
1: you nominated yourself off the back of us encouraging you yes, to be you fair. Yes, you had, you had. Um, I guess I have a follow-up question. Is it true that sauerkraut that you make at home tastes a lot better than what you buy in the shops?
0: Oh my gosh, yeah. Okay. Oh, so much better. I'll, I'll give you some of the some of back which I made, um, if it turns out okay.
1: Thank you. Amazing. <laughs> I said this last time. I said I've never had um, pumpkin pie mm-hmm. and does it taste good and you made pumpkin pie I need to just keep doing this <laughs> <Yeah>. I think
0: <laughs> I'm very easily trained yeah. <laughs> Pavlov's dog <laughs> but um, takes us on to the topic of the week um, and this week we thought we'd chat about private dentistry we've had actually this requested um, from a few listeners in a few different forms um, and I know we spoke about sort of associates last week and it's a little bit of a follow-on from that um, but mainly sort of focusing on private dentistry.
1: It's it's a really interesting week sorry to, to talk about this because we have w- a few times this year we've had DCTs from the Welsh scheme um, watching us work and uh, Dr. Sina uh, Gilanejad was here this week and mm-hmm. we were chatting about this exact topic um, I, I mentioned him because a few people might know him from the presenting complaint podcast that mm-hmm. he does um, and we were chatting about how difficult it is to make that transition and it's funny this whole uh, topic of private dentistry um, we take for granted what we know about it and I thought it was really interesting when you messaged me about the theme that the definitions were even an issue and that's how mm. much Um, The whole topic is really vague.
0: Yes. So I, in my standard form, went on Google and uh, tried to find what sort of the definition of a private dentist was. And um, alas, I came up very short. There wasn't anything sort of concrete. There were a few sort of um, descriptions on practice websites about sort of the difference between sort of NHS and private. But there's no sort of set. This is the private dentistry descriptor. So what is your... How would you define private dentistry?
1: So before I do, can I ask, what, what, what did you see as a, a theme of what they were saying is the difference between private and NHS dentistry?
0: Um, the main points were sort of there's no fixed value, um, but the prices do tend to be higher and the equipment is better. Okay. was sort of the three things that popped up a lot.
1: That's a really massive generalisation, actually. And it's interesting because the only thing that the term actually means is that it's privately funded mm. right so it doesn't um refer to the quality it just refers to whether you're gonna have to pay for it yourself or not and one of the examples of of this kind of definition was during covid uh, a lot of uh, private dentists or practices uh felt a little bit abandoned over covid mm-hmm. where the bda was helping with NHS practices and actually saying a lot about them. And there was no one standing up for private dentistry. And so in England, the uh, British Association of Private Dentistry formed the BAPD. And uh, I was part of the group that formed the Welsh version of that. But private dentistry as a term um, is looked at a little bit differently in Wales, culturally, we felt. Mm -hmm. So we actually termed the organization the Independent Dental Association Wales. And the idea was that it is independently funded dentistry. Mm -hmm. And so I always say, I think it's really um, unfair to term private dentistry as better quality because it actually has nothing to do with that. And I've seen private practices that are actually cheaper than NHS prices. Wow. Yeah, it's not common, but it's possible because it actually has nothing to do with how the dentistry is performed. Mm It's just to do with how the dentistry is paid for. And there's no subsidy.
0: Fair enough. Well, I suppose there's an economic supply and demand model somewhere there where you can yeah, get things cheaper in some ways. Um, I think also, again, with that quality, there are people on the NHS doing absolutely beautiful work. And those patients are incredibly lucky. Um, yes. And, and,
1: and equally, there are people doing private <laughs> dentistry that, you know. Yes. Is
0: not
1: and, and really, this just shows it comes down to the individual rather than the system that they're on. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Um, so if you've got someone sort of thinking about going private, sort of what would you say sort of the main reasons for someone to start going sort of fully private or more higher percentage wise private would be?
1: So the why is is that you have control over your clinical time. Mm-hmm. You don't have to provide any procedures that you don't feel you can do to a good standard, or that you or that you don't want to do. If there's things you don't like or aren't good at, you shouldn't be providing them. And the thing about being on the NHS is that you're forced to provide them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so being able to pick and choose, and you might it might be that Flo you love doing composites and you hate doing dentures and I love doing dentures and you hate doing composites I kind of it was too close to home for you Um, so so the beauty of private dentistry is you can either say I'm not doing it or you say I only enjoy it when I do it really well and it takes me twice as long so I need to charge twice as much as he does Mm -hmm. and in the end what happens is you and I then go okay send me all your dentures I'll send you all my composites Mm -hmm. and then you end up Working in a practice like this Where everyone's just doing what they're good at So Mm -hmm. um, I think the problem is That a lot of uh, young dentists Or older dentists who are disillusioned Think that it's an opportunity That has something to do with money Mm -hmm. Of course there is scope to earn accordingly But actually it's the freedom that it buys you To do the type of dentistry that you want to do Mm -hmm. Um, There's also just uh, a completely different uh, outlook when when you're charging for what you do and it's not kind of a all-encompassing price. It's it val- the system values you more. It's like the fee per item kind of thing, but mm-hmm. you set your prices. So if you're gonna use really good materials, if you're going to use really good labs, if you're gonna take a long time, you get to control how you price that.
0: Hmm. When, when did you go sort of fully private?
1: So I was working at a mixed practice and the practice itself decided to hand back its NHS contract.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it was quite nice because the principal said that being part of the NHS was actually putting us at risk. We were being forced to provide things that we might may not be able to provide on that system or, you know, it's unrealistic to say if you need 10 crowns that they should be provided for the same price as one. It's not sustainable for the associates or the practice. And it was termed as a move to protect us but also it just made perfect sense for the practice although there's a financial hit initially it only took six months for the practice to make up that gap in funding now that's Mm -hmm. not the case everywhere because it depends on your ratio of Mm -hmm. nhs to private but um essentially we did a practice conversion and that's the last time i worked on the nhs so it must have been i don't remember exactly (laughs) 2015 somewhere like that
0: that's not that long ago
1: no, no, but I mean it's almost a decade ago. Mm, that's
0: when I started uni. So it's actually <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> two generations. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, yeah. So I obviously more recently have gone fully private. Um, my for me it was more actually the rather than I want to be private it was I just couldn't work in the NHS system anymore and sort of needed a a, a lifeline which is what i found sort of what, with your why? mentorship well it was it was for me what i found and i do i appreciate sort of some practices can have different systems here so i'm not generalizing too much but i found sort of the pressure with the contract that and everything we were under the dentistry that i was having to provide sort of it was all very much sort of a stopgap, trying to get people just patch things up as sort of as quickly as possible and i didn't like that i couldn't provide the dentistry in most cases that i wanted to um and then when i was going out of my way to sort of try and do this it was then very much at my detriment sort of the private dentistry i was doing was just covering my nhs lab bills
1: so so the the government wasn't making up the funding so you were the one that was subsidizing the yeah, patient care,
0: effectively between
1: you and the practice.
0: Yeah. yeah. And then you're just trying to sort of squeeze sort of as much in. And then I was just getting burnt out effectively. Yeah. And, um, I know some people can sort of thrive in that system, but for me, I, yeah, I, I just couldn't do it there. Um, so that's, yeah, why I've ended up going private and I'm much, much happier now I must admit. So
1: Because you know, the, the thing is if I think if you speak to everyone, having a choice of the procedures you do and the prices you charge, no one's going to think that that's not a good thing. The problem is that it's intimidating because when you work in a system that is not subsidized, suddenly you don't have people queuing up to keep their registration regardless. Mm -hmm. And what that means then is every single day and every single appointment, you have to earn that patient. You're only Mm -hmm. as good as your last procedure or patient. Mm -hmm. And there's pressure that comes with that, right? Because we, we don't get to have... A bad day or a bad hour mm-hmm. you know that person's coming to you trusting you um, spending their time and money with you and you've got to deliver every single time and you know what that puts a lot of pressure on you and that's quite intimidating mm-hmm. and the problem is our education system is not set up to prepare you for that no <laughs> I, I i really think you know i've talked about it before that undergrads in other countries are doing a completely different standard of dentistry the The um, it's a big generalization. I don't know everything about every undergrad program. But from what I understand, the system in the UK is preparing people, and not even adequately, for the NHS.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And you come out, and you're prepared for the NHS, and you basically need to upskill to be in a position where you are able to earn each patient. Mm -hmm. And it's such a shame, but it's the reality of it, that right now... UK dentistry and young dentists need the NHS because they're coming out of university having done one root canal or no root canals. And the irony is, they're expected to provide it on the NHS, but if they went private straight away, they wouldn't have to do those things <laughs> yeah. that they're not good at. It's bizarre, isn't it? I mean, the cool, the, the, Best example of someone who went, this system makes no sense is Stuart Kilner, Mm -hmm. who he's he is such a nice guy. And I think he's well known now. But I knew him back when it was so surprising. He had left uh, DF1 to go work at Evo Mm -hmm. to do kind of their apprenticeship program without getting through his DF1 year because he went, I'm not going to work on this system. Mm -hmm. This makes no sense. And now he's doing incredible things. He's working with Monica at Totally Aesthetics and, and part of their year-long program. And he's doing loads of implants at loads of places. And his work is beautiful. You see it online. And the thing is, he's the one who turned around and went, no, this makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was going to be the beginning of the exodus. <laughs> but I guess the confidence to just walk away from a system that you feel like you're part of is is mm-hmm. difficult.
0: I think, yeah, I don't know anyone in my year who didn't end up sort of doing that FD year Um, I do I think there was a few people a couple of years above who just um, ended up starting their own practice straight out of uni amazing Um, sort of yeah privately and everything Um, but yeah I think it is an option you don't have to do no FD year although the benefit with it is when you come out of uni I think now you are so unprepared it does sort of give you a space to upskill that a little bit more
1: It's difficult, isn't it? Because is it giving you a chance to upskill or is it teaching you bad habits and giving you the illusion of Mm upskilling when actually you're learning to conform to the system? Yeah. And then how stuck are you in that system? It's, it's It's a really difficult question.
0: Yeah. I do think it helps with efficiency. That would be my sort of... Although yeah, like you said, there maybe be you then having to sort of unlearn some of the things that gave you some of that efficiency.
1: I mean, um, there's two ways to get quicker, isn't there? Mm-hmm. There's getting quicker by repetition, and there's getting quicker by taking shortcuts.
0: Yes, yeah. And, and I mean, that end end just, I just think, sums a lot of it up. Short shots there?
2: Yeah, <laughs> fair yeah. enough.
0: Um, what do you think? Sort of the big negatives. I know we've sort of touched on a couple there of private dentistry are sort of going private.
1: You you have to earn. The patients. I mean, for me, there's actually nothing negative about private dentistry. If you want to do dentistry, you enjoy dentistry, you do your best, you're good at it. Mm. There's no downside to this. The only downside is that people will vote with their feet. So Mm -hmm. if you're not, the the number one reason people struggle to survive as privately funded dentists is their inability to communicate, Mm -hmm. and so. If you're not a good communicator and you're a great technician, you're worse off than someone who's a bad technician but can communicate well. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't be like that, but it is. So the only downside is that you have to be good at many things. And Mm -hmm. then even within private, it's not like all private is the same. There are really um, uh, high... um, I'm, I'm not sure the word I'm looking for here really um, big practices that are doing really complex work and mm-hmm. there are general practices doing really good work, but really basic work and mm-hmm. will not touch anything even remotely complex. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: private doesn't mean private, even within that, there are different parts you can work in and at different times in your career.
0: Mm, fair enough. I think for me, one of the big things that I was sort of really scared of is that imposter syndrome, um, which, I appreciate can have a slight gender bias to it as well but I think everyone really can get a little bit of that imposter syndrome I, I remember talking to my mum actually about it and she was a teacher for 40 odd years and she was like I still went into the classroom even before I retired and had a little bit of they trust me to teach these kids. <laughs> like, um,
1: I don't think. Um, you, I think you're not normal if you don't feel that.
0: And I think it is scary, particularly when you first take that sort of leap of, oh, people are actually paying me this money to do this work, and they want that standard. And you know, am I good enough? I'm. I'm, I'm only this many years qualified. And I think yeah, you do get all of these thoughts, and it, it is a process of sort of picking through it and being like actually. No, I have those skills, um, and being yeah, being able to communicate sort of what level you are, and and knowing not to take on, sort of yeah, bite more, bite off more than you can chew, and everything there. Yeah. Knowing when to refer, I think is that is one of the biggest lessons when you go privately, and actually it, yeah, and knowing who to refer to as well is is I think a really big lesson. I think yeah, with the NHS, obviously there is the e-referral system, and it makes it quite easy. So knowing yeah. Who your friends are around, and yes. things can make make it that a little bit more yeah an easier ride there
1: Well, those are good points because essentially when you go into d f one you have a trainer. you are assigned essentially a mentor or teacher. The same should happen in private dentistry. Mm-hmm. It needs to be a supported transition because it's a new system to you if you haven't worked on in that system mm-hmm. before, definitely.
0: Ali, can you name everything in the practice that's made by W&H?
1: Ooh, off the top of my head, all of our handpieces, our sterilization equipment, my implant motor, the Pizomed, They're an incredible company to work with because they're an Austrian company that focus on hygiene. And we know from studies that patients care most about hygiene. To top it all off, the support we get from them is amazing. They don't actually supply the equipment, but they provide the support. Now that's true support.
0: why do you use Southern implants?
1: I love these implants. Brilliant. I have options like coaxis, which 38% of implants that are used by Southern are coaxis, which means that 38% of the time, if you don't have coaxis angle correction at implant level, you're compromising on your treatment plan. On top of that, soft bone implants for the pterygoids, as well as the max implants, immediates for molars, can save having zygomatic implants. Definitely the way to go.
0: Fair enough. So um, I saw actually a really interesting post on Facebook this week. I think it was on the Young Deciduous group. I can have, there's so many of those groups, yeah, I can all, never yeah, remember which one yeah. it is. Um, and someone had posed a question about how, how to upsell private on the NHS. And there was a lot of sort of debate that then sparked off about sort of the ethics of this. Do you have any thoughts on that at all?
1: So, oh, the whole thing's a mess, isn't it? But essentially, the NHS is there to get people dentally fit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, don't think it's, I don't like the term selling or upselling or ethical selling because you're not selling, you're giving options. Mm-hmm. And if you're really transparent about what is available in a system and as a practice you have a policy that that's what you're going to provide mm-hmm. and then anything that has cosmetic consequences will be outside of that system then you're really safe because you stick to that and it's all part of a contract and a system. The problem is when people decide, I want the contract and I want the money from the contract, but I don't want to provide what's on the contract because mm-hmm. essentially you, you have to vote with your feet when it comes to these contracts. Um, I It's really difficult for young dentists because it is a minefield. Mm-hmm. But my advice would be, for example, if you're doing posterior crowns and the practice's policy is that posterior crowns will be metal colored mm-hmm. and you give your patients the option of a private tooth colored crown, I think that's perfectly fair enough. What you can't do is offer someone this and someone else the other. Mm-hmm. They can have a white one on the NHS. And they can't. Um, trying to push people saying oh you can't have a crown on the NHS I mean this is where you make a real mess of it so I'd say if you're working on the NHS you should really understand the contract that you're mm-hmm. working in how many people it's like Apple's terms and conditions right? Mm-hmm. no one has ever read those
0: but I think that the, one of the problems with the NHS contract though is it's so ambiguous because it is technically you should be able to offer basically everything Yeah. because it's yeah. getting them dentally fit but then again it it means then the dentist has to make this financial decision against themselves quite often if they want to then offer some of these things. And it's kind of creating this very unjust system.
1: I mean, yeah, I, this is not a helpful thing to say on a podcast, but this is why I hate talking about this because it's such a waste <laughs> of time. I mean, All right, <laughs> let's leave then. No, no, no but this is what I'm saying, like, this is what... This is what the politicians are doing to us. Mm. They're cre- they've created and pushed through a contract that makes no sense and isn't for the public. It's They've used a finite pot of funding and tried to squeeze as much out of it as they can, and then... Our trade union has allowed it to come through and all of us have allowed it to come through instead of standing up to it. And when dentistry tried to stand up to it, the then chief executive of the BDA, Peter Ward said, how would it look if all the dentists stormed Westminster in with Porsches, like that is not a good attitude. What we should have done is everyone in 2006 when this ridiculous contract came in, and just for anyone listening who doesn't understand this contract, right? It's the equivalent of, I'm gonna go to Tesco and I can fill my whole shopping cart with whatever I want for a fixed price. Mm-hmm. And then I can complain when there aren't gold bars in my basket as well, right? Mm-hmm. And instead of standing up to it, it was kind of allowed to come through. And now they're making loads of noise. And the problem is, this finite pot is being squeezed more and more. And so we're all trying to figure out how to make the most of it and then having to say no to patients and having to try and figure it out. And they've left the whole contract vague, which puts everyone at risk. And that's the biggest problem. And so my advice would be that system is not fit for purpose for clinicians and for patients. It will not give you job satisfaction because you're constantly having to figure out where the hot lava is and Mm -hmm. avoid it. And you aren't practicing in a way that fulfills your soul, right? Mm-hmm. So the way I would work on the NHS is I would find a really good ethical practice where the ownership really care about patients and where they're not saying, do as little as you can for the money. They're actually saying, you know mm-hmm. what, take your time, do what you want. Here's all the kit that you want.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You'll end up being paid less in a practice like that because there isn't an infinite amount of money. Mm-hmm. You're almost salaried at that point and you do your best dentistry and you live like a student, like mm-hmm. you did when you were a student. I was saying this to Cena. live like a student when you're used to still not earning anything and put all the extra money away. First, you pay your tax <laughs> and then with what's left over, you go on courses and mm-hmm. you go on the best courses and you upskill and you come back in, in your salaried position and you practice on your patients, giving them the best possible care for a fee that is ridiculously low Mm-hmm. Until you've got a portfolio, and you go and you find a practice where you're going to get paid for what you're doing, and there is no shortcut to that whole process. Everyone wants to know the answer: How do I do more private? How do I get into a private practice? It's not this sudden knock on the door and transition. Mm-hmm. It's a it's an attitude, and it's developing this skill set of investing, reinvesting, practicing before you expect to earn from it. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, yeah. No, definitely. I think that it is that constant learning that's always going to then push you and I think keep keep you interested as well. That's that. I think having those CPD numbers can feel a bit like, oh, I have to do this. But actually, it's where I think so much of that joy comes in. Yes. And I, and I think you can tell the dentists that do, they that, that passion really comes through when they are so excited, like, I want to go on this course, I want to do this. Yes. Um, and I think that's such a sign of, a, of the dentist that you actually want to be treated by.
1: And, and everyone wants to be that. No one wants to be like, oh, I have to do this and I hate this job and I'm just paying my bills. No one wants to be like that. But it's, it's, a, it's a way of being. You have, to, you have to do the small things to get to that big point. And you know the beauty of working in private dentistry is it's ironic But the more people pay for your services, the more they appreciate them. Mm -hmm. And the people who come to you, the people who come to you in the NHS, it might be that I've been coming here my whole life. I'm registered here and if I leave, there's no space for NHS Mm -hmm. patients. And in some, but not all cases, depending on your area and practice, people can't afford to go to independently fund their treatment. And the irony is there's a sense of entitlement in people who've always had this and expect to have it. And want something from you. And I know what's on the contract. Mm -hmm. The beauty of private dentistry is the patients really appreciate you. Have you felt that?
0: Oh, I think that was the biggest change for me. When I came into it, I was definitely scared. Like, oh my gosh, people are going to get so angry. They're going to have such high expectations. But actually, it's been so lovely working with people that take responsibility for their oral health. Um, And I just think that's been the biggest difference. I mean, I really enjoy doing all the perio side and sort of actually I do. Well, I think one of the big things is I can spend a lot more time. But I do think there's that element of actually people are paying that bit more for this service. And then they want to make sure their money is going somewhere, that they're actually investing in something. So when they're going home, they are listening and they're taking on board what you've said. Um, I think, yeah, when sometimes you're getting something almost... For free, or and then again, that five minute chat, you're less likely to then put it into practice. I mean, I've spoken about my mum already, but I would be for her, she had a hip um, replacement uh, last year, and she did end up going privately just because of all the waiting times and had to do the private physio. And she is usually someone that would not listen to things like that, but I think because she paid, she did everything absolutely to the letter, and her recovery was so much better. And I think it's so, it's so much the same with the patients that come through as well. It's yeah,
1: it's such, a, it's such a positive feedback loop there. Mm.
0: Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. There was actually, I found a statistic actually about people being sued because I think people, again, it, there's that little bit of, um, you're a bit scared going privately. But actually, this was a survey done by the practice plan and they found that it was 90% predominantly NHS dentists are anxious about complaints, whereas it's only 59% of private dentists that are that there's less sort of complaints that come through the private system than through the NHS. Because system. you're
1: not forced together, right? There's not this group of people who have nowhere else to go and you who doesn't want to be on the system. You can see how that would be a bad fit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: These people on a private system, they have their money in their hand. They choose where to spend it and if they don't like it, they'll go elsewhere. They don't feel trapped and they don't feel like they're, you know, getting the the bad end of the stick. <laughs> uh,
0: wrong, end of, wrong the end, stick. end of
1: the stick <laughs> not the end of the stick some, that you want right yeah um whereas when the the beauty is that that people will find you who like you and that you like to treat but the thing i really like is when you really look after a patient and if you do your best for every single patient that you see they really feel it anything you do in life even you go to the supermarket and you're at the checkout till and the person engages with you and they're really nice and they're doing their best, You, it makes you positive and it makes you happy and this is what can be created. So these people actually who are coming in and spending their money, it's like going to a really good restaurant. You can spend a lot of money at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And you can leave going, oh, I had a great experience. And you can spend much less Mm -hmm. and be, that wasn't worth the money. And it's not the money, it's the experience, right? So people really appreciate how much you put into that experience. Mm -hmm. And you have a lot more resources to create that experience when you're independently funded.
0: What are some of your private practice experiences you create for the patient?
1: Ooh, so um, I think it's really important that Um, The little things like, uh, this isn't exclusive to private practices, but when you think about it, appointment-based systems or wherever you are, if people are stressed and there's traffic and they're running late and then they have to look for parking and they're coming in for something that they might be anxious about anyway. So, you know, the little things like having parking available, um, when people walk in, just someone greeting them by name, calmly, Mm -hmm. being able to offer them a drink. We have a waterfall behind us and there's just something about having a bit of, having five minutes of tranquility and just something soothing. Because if you're already in this um, sympathetic nervous system fired up kind of mode, Mm -hmm. it makes everything a little more difficult. So just having a few minutes to decompress in a nice environment and then coming in and actually us just having the time. And it's little things like if we have the resources, the chair is being really comfortable these things all just add up a little bit i wouldn't say that there is a huge difference between you know some of the best dentists i've met work on the nhs and the Mm -hmm. quality of work they produce is phenomenal their patients love them Mm -hmm. it's just maybe how it changes your approach to it as much as anything else
0: oh yeah no definitely so in terms of i know you've spoken sort of that career path in the sense of finding an ethical practice and sort of just building from there like a portfolio are there any other career pathways sort of people could go down to get into private dentistry
1: there is space for independently funded dentists in every aspect of dentistry from general practice to more specialist referral work it's there's actually the answer is if you value yourself and invest in yourself Mm -hmm. then that will happen. You need to be able to walk into a practice and good communication is so key. It's the number one thing. I'm not sure it's something you can absolutely teach. I think we can all get better at it. But if you're a reasonable communicator, then you can do all the clinical work and really get to that level. Mm -hmm. And I think you need a portfolio. Mm -hmm. And the only way you're gonna have a great portfolio is by going all out on people who aren't funding their own treatment when you're not getting rewarded for it. And that's an attitude, mm-hmm. having the attitude that I want to get to this level. Mm-hmm. That's the key.
0: Enough. I think one of the attitudes I definitely see in you and I've heard um, some other dentists talk about, and it's something I think is that collaborate, don't compete. And I think sort of there is that element to private dentistry that people can get caught in that money thing and like, oh, no, I want these are my patients. Like, don't go to that practice, come to my practice. But actually having yeah that collaboration between people, asking for advice from from others, making referrals um, and just actually us all being in that profession together and supporting each other. I think overall not only is going to benefit the patient, but it's going to elevate sort of your dentistry as well and i think that's so important
1: i I completely agree i mean there's two types of people broadly speaking in this world there's ted lassos and there's nates right (laughs) we love the show so (laughs) and 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 the this the thing is that people who are protect protecting their turf Mm -hmm. and quite negative and it comes from insecurity Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of that around but the people who are secure about look i'm very comfortable in what i provide right Mm -hmm. this is my style this is my the way i live this is the way i treat my patients i do my best there is enough to go around Mm -hmm. and we need different types of practices and different types of people around Mm -hmm. so um it really surprised me when we opened up i had lovely messages from most of the practices around here and especially i mean craig lewis in Birchgrove messaged me and he said how's it going welcome and Mm -hmm. we're we're literally down the road from him and he could have been worried but he went you do implants okay cool let's work together and I was Mm -hmm. like you know what what an attitude towards things and even within a building what we're learning is Mm -hmm. the more we help and support each other the more we're all getting busy with the right type of work the more we're getting better patient outcomes really happy patients so yeah I believe in this type of momentum
0: Talking sort of about sort of getting patients in a little bit, um, did want to touch on sort of the big thing nowadays, social media and sort of the marketing of yourself as a dentist on social media. Yeah. And that's sort of how important is it in today's climate?
1: Well, I'd, I think, you know, I think what's really important is staying true to yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can go and force yourself to be any way that you're not, right? Mm -hmm. So there are people who think, oh, I have to go on social media and do something. And then it's all a bit awkward and they don't enjoy it and nothing good comes off it. And there are people who are just naturally really engaging and good on there. Mm -hmm. And people like to watch what they have to offer. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're, I think now as a referral practitioner, Mm -hmm. it's actually quite important. It's -hmm. not the most important thing because what we know is, A lot of people, they see a lecture when they're in dental school or in VT and they send that person all their referrals for the rest of their career, (laughs) right? So actually the honest truth is like social media is great in terms of getting referrals, but it's not the be all and end all. And if you enjoy being on there and doing things on there, I think it's great. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, then don't do that to yourself. Mm -hmm. Practices, I think it's important to have a presence. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for it to represent you. If you're a practice that considers yourself a family practice and really caring then don't have a social media that is making it look like state of the art Mm -hmm. and vice versa it's it's about getting your true image out there Mm -hmm. and i think i don't think if practices are trying to grow i think it's almost impossible now without some social media marketing
0: enough would you be funny about an associate sort of advertising themselves rather than the practice
1: no i have no problem with that at all i find it strange that practices would have this problem right mm-hmm. the, the the reason the practices are worrying about this is because they're worried that the the patient the, that the associate is building up their own goodwill that they can then take with them mm-hmm. but the answer is flo if you If tomorrow, I've said this to you, right? I say to you, if tomorrow you decide to open Mm -hmm. a practice, please open up next door and I'll refer to you, Mm -hmm. right? Because the fact is, all of these, I've said it before, these exclusion zones don't mean anything. And if patients want to follow you, they'll follow you. Mm -hmm. So why not do that? Why not do your own type of marketing? It gives the practice an opportunity to have another brand Mm -hmm. helping grow it. And I think that if you're an associate and you want to build your social media following or advertising
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and a practice has a problem with it, you have a philosophical problem with a practice.
0: Serious red flag. <laughs> get a new job.
1: And, you know, this. but the fact is there has to be um, a philosophical um, match between any dentist and the practice they're in Mm -hmm. and we're all different practices are all different associates are all different so Mm -hmm. it's actually really important that this isn't a point of friction Mm -hmm. I think
0: actually that takes me on to the first question um from the listeners and it's how do you navigate being loyal um to somewhere versus having growth and moving on
1: I don't I, I don't really understand the term loyalty because I think if you behave in a way that you're not ashamed of and you fulfill your contract, mm-hmm. it's strange to stay beyond that at the, you know, at the detriment of your own personal growth. Mm-hmm. Holding yourself back, honestly, you know, practice owners that say, oh, they're so disloyal. They left after everything I did for them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, would you have sacrificed your business for this person's personal growth? Mm-hmm. The only way any of this works is if everything's a win-win, right? Mm-hmm. So loyalty is important. You don't leave a practice stranded. You don't you don't just leave them in the lurch. But at the same time, if a practice is struggling to recruit, to replace you,
2: mm-hmm.
1: are you meant to not take a job that you'd love
0: mm-hmm. or
1: develop in a way that you'd love?
0: Mm-hmm. No, definitely, definitely. If... You were sort of just starting, so you're near, go back to 2015, and you're starting out, how would you sort of recommend sort of splitting your week up? Maybe you're starting to do a little bit more private what do you think sort of a good split between sort of NHS and private?
1: 100% private, 0% NHS. <laughs> no, really, there's
0: no, <laughs> no
1: there's just no, this is, yeah, it's okay. a no-brainer.
0: No, fair enough, fair enough. That was a nice, easy, easy yeah, answer Thank you, there. whoever sent that in, yeah, great. <laughs> um, what a bright, I think we've covered this, but what are private <clears throat> patients really like?
1: Yeah, they're, they're lovely. Yeah, really nice. Like sometimes, you know, I remember the first private treatment I did, someone was paying £100 for a white filling. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I remember thinking, oh my God, this person's spending a £100 on this. Mm -hmm. And now, with the type of work we're doing, people are routinely spending, you know, four figures. Mm -hmm. And when we look after them, it's they come in with like a gift or, you know, behind us, there is a painting on the wall from one of our patients Mm -hmm. um, outside of uh, the green surgery. And this patient said that she felt really down over COVID. And then suddenly what she saw was when the world shut down, all the oceans came to life. Mm -hmm. There were dolphins in Venice. It was incredible. It's amazing. And she felt like the world was renewed. And she painted this beautiful painting that's actually just happened to be the same colors as our brand. It was navy and gold. And she said that the treatment we did for her made her feel renewed. Mm -hmm. And that that painting belongs here. Mm -hmm. And... Just things like that, you know, like, I I just think that people really appreciate what you put in when they're having to put in to get it. Mm -hmm. So um, I think for everyone who's worried about private dentistry, firstly, you may be harsh, being harsh with yourself, but also... It could be that you feel you're not ready. So Mm -hmm. ask yourself the question, have you really invested in yourself and in your attitude? Mm -hmm. That's how you get ready, not by applying for a job and getting lucky.
0: Fair enough. Um, Another question. If you are transitioning from NHS, which takes less time, changing over completely or slowly growing your private list?
1: Uh, So I, I say this to everyone who's trying to transition to something, right? So the question I get asked a lot is, I want to do purely implants Mm -hmm. and I have a general list and how do I get there? Mm -hmm. Cold turkey. (laughs) Cold turkey. And the reason for that is when you stop, firstly, time opens up. Mm -hmm. So you're not not waiting to do the next thing. Mm -hmm. You have time to do it. And suddenly, there's a fire burning under you because you (laughs) have to make it happen. And that hunger Mm -hmm. is really important in achieving goals. And so... You don't want to quit and be, you know, in real trouble, but this slow, slow transition, it's just going to slow down the inevitable and it's going to make your whole journey ceiling a bit lower. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the sooner yeah. the better.
0: I think as well, what ends up inevitably happening is, oh, I've got to squeeze that NHS patient in here, I've got it, and actually it doesn't end up being a slow growth. It's, it's a very slow growth that ends up happening, I think, is the ultimate thing. And it ends up being a compromise. Yes. Yeah. Um, last question, which is actually a question from a, a dental nurse. Um, cool. Should we be worried about pay if my practice changes over from NHS to private? Um, for background, I've always felt secure knowing the NHS wages were coming in, but now we are swapping to private and I'm worried that we won't be paid if patients aren't signing up.
1: Oh, interesting question. Okay, the thing is, You're an employee. Mm -hmm. There's employment law. If they can't pay you, then you'll have to look for another job. Mm -hmm. But that's scary for all of us all the time, Mm -hmm. right? For dentists, for nurses. um, You know, we all work as a team. We know what we have to hit to keep the doors open, to keep the nurses in their jobs. Mm -hmm. And we look at it as a positive thing. How many people are we going to help to achieve this? But um, it's such an opportunity. It's an opportunity to be doing more interesting um, work to possibly a higher level if you have more time. And if you're a good anything, if you're a good associate, if you're a good dental nurse, people are saying, oh, there's a shortage of." Sometimes they say there's a shortage of dental nurses. Mm -hmm. There's a shortage of dentists. There's a shortage of good private practices. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: There's never a shortage of these things. Mm -hmm. If you're a really good associate, a really good practice will make space for you. Mm -hmm. If you're a really good nurse, a really good practice will make space for you. So don't worry about it. Be the best version of yourself with that attitude. Believe that this transition is going to possibly change your work life And mean that even the people around you are at less risk. And if you're working with a dentist who's at less risk and doing nicer dentistry that they Mm -hmm. feel valued for, Mm you're going to have a nicer day because two of you are locked in a room together. Mm -hmm. Your patients will appreciate you more potentially. Mm -hmm. So um, you can always focus on the potential risk. And yes, I can't tell you how the people you work for are going to run their business and how responsible they're going to be. But all you can do is what you're in control of and look at the possible upside of it, which is just massive
0: well it's very very inspiring there (laughs) i do think in this country there is this big thing with sort of all the good old nhs the reliable nhs and it it can be scary sort of doing that change um when you've come from something that is sort of reliable to something that is going to be turbulent as said probably for the first sort of six months um but actually yeah if you're good at what you're doing it is going to grow from there and it's believing in yourself
1: Absolutely. And the biggest indicator of your happiness and success is your ability to adapt to change. If you're scared of changes, it's going to make your career very difficult. You just have to obviously make calculated decisions, but look at the possible upside of things because the fear is what holds most people back. Mm -hmm. And so if you know logically this makes sense, then you've got to go for it.
0: Well, thank you for answering all of those today, Ali. Thank um, you. Thank you, everyone, for listening and tune in again next week.
1: And if you're listening on the podcast, you won't see me looking straight at the camera. <laughs> but check us out on YouTube, where uh, producer Simon has put together an incredible set. I think it looks lovely and you get to actually see us talk. So please check us out on YouTube and please subscribe like and review the podcast and the YouTube channel. We'd really appreciate it. It helps other people find us. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Pearl's Two Generations in Dentistry. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Pearls Dental Podcast. Send us a DM with any questions, queries or topic suggestions.
1: And remember, you can watch our episodes on YouTube. Please rate and review the podcast.
0: This episode was produced by Simon Regan.